This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. Keep listening for actionable tips and tricks to incorporate eco-friendly practices into your daily life. We've recently been featured by Apple as the number one podcast for conscious consumers, and we can't wait to welcome you into our community of changemakers. I'm your co-host, Laura Alexander Wittig, founder of Brightly.eco, the new platform for conscious consumers. We believe in supporting all creatures, great and small, and our team of experts show you how to consume and shop responsibly by recommending world-changing products, brands, and more. To read show notes from Good Together and to browse all of the world-changing goodness that we feature, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. This episode is part two of our 2019 year in review theme, where Lisa and I highlight positive and negative themes that emerged in the ethical and sustainable news cycles. We also invited Alden Wicker to weigh in alongside us. Alden is an investigative journalist, ethical fashion expert, and founder of EcoCult.com, one of the top sources for in-depth reporting on everything eco-friendly. Like we mentioned in part one, Alden has written a piece or two for the Brightly.eco platform, and we're longtime fans of her knack of getting to the bottom of nebulous issues and asking the hard questions needed to advance our collective knowledge of sustainable lifestyle practices. Alden doesn't shy away from a controversial issue, and that's why we invited her on this podcast. In the second part of our discussion with Alden, we, re- we discussed the rise of ethical alternatives to fast fashion the exciting increase in popularity of clean eating through meat alternatives, and the impact Amazon.com had on your online shopping this year, plus what that means for the planet. Let's get started. So um, moving on to uh, fast fashion, supply chains, uh, right? Exciting stuff. Also, we're nerds about that. Uh, Laura, you want to start with, um, you know, kind of the negative side of things, and we'll see uh, what we're doing about it. Yeah, so we're talking a little bit about fast fashion, like we said we would earlier. And so one thing that came out, which is almost like a half positive, half negative. So the positive thing was there was a really, um, you know, there have been some explosive reports coming out of um, China, specifically um, in uh, a region called, I'm (laughs) going to say this, I did take a semester of Mandarin and I was not that great at it. Um, Xinjiang, I think, is the name of of that region. That's pretty impressive. Um, And there is an ethnic group there um, called the Uyghurs and they are tradition, they have occupied that space forever. Um, And unfortunately, um, the Chinese government has come in and started to use this group um, as, you know, more or less slave labor. Um, so I say, I say the positive is that the fact that this uh, information is coming to light, specifically tying it back to consumer behavior. So as it turns out, a lot of these factories are producing garments that are getting fed directly to us in the U.S. and across the world um, through some of these fast fashion chains. Um, and, you know, it's, you know, that this region um, of China actually produces over 80 percent of China's cotton. Um, and in turn, the United States actually imports more than 30% of our overall apparel 
from China. Um, so, you know, this is something that, um, you know, the solve for this, of course, is less, less, um, you know, apparent. Obviously, we need some policy, in fact, um, in effect from our government to really push on the Chinese government to stop these practices. But as consumers, um, you know, we can, again, not support fast fashion. Make sure that you know the supply chain that is, um, you know, giving you your fashion um yeah i mean it's i think it's it's just fascinating it's heartbreaking um yeah alden i'm not sure if there's uh, anything you wanted to add to that oh i have so much to say on this topic yeah um so it's not just the cut and sew factories that are using slave labor also um yeah it's like the, the spinning mills and the cotton harvesting and um there was a really um massive story that I don't think a lot in the fashion community saw come out because it's in um, foreign policy magazine. And so it was just, it was, um, it was really savaging uh, the Better Cotton Initiative because um, the Better Cotton Initiative, it really, it doesn't really much focus on forced labor, it focuses on like pesticide use and stuff. But um, it was kind of providing a little bit of, um, a smokescreen for brands like Adidas and H&M to, to say that the cotton that they're sourcing from this um, area is sustainable. And they've done everything sort of correct, quote unquote. Um, but unfortunately, because this is a government, a communist government policy, there's no way to, to use normal certification systems to uh, be sure that the cotton that you're sourcing was not um, harvested or spun or cut in stone using slave labor. And really, really, the, the only solution is to stop sourcing anything from this, not only this entire region, but any, any of the Chinese supply chains that feed into it. Is that possible? Probably not. I mean, China is our biggest supplier of fashion and not just fast fashion, luxury fashion, mid-range fashion. Um, there is, they're starting to be a little bit towards this. The uh, customs actually blocked the shipment, a very small shipment, but they blocked shipment of some fashion that they said they strongly suspected came from a slave labor factory in China. Um, but the whole region um, and basically all of China is compromised in this. And we're sort of letting it happen because it would be, it would be a lot. I mean, just the tariff war is, has been really devastating to um, fashion brands and it's increasing prices in the United States for a lot of things. Totally cutting off things from China, anything that you would suspect has been touched by slave labor would, would be a massive blow to the industry, massive. And I think whenever we get into politics, it's just, you know, the, the decision-making process is so long and painful. And this is why ultimately, I mean, at least I believe, is as us as um, consumers and members of the society, that the best uh, thing ultimately for us is just simply uh, to vote with our dollar. Uh, maybe we should sign petitions and definitely email the brands we like uh, to demand action, but uh, political process. It's just, it's not as fast as we need it to be, right? Yeah, I think, Lisa, to that point, I think everybody has a degree um, what they're comfortable doing in terms of ag advocacy or voting exactly. with their dollars. Mm -hmm. So 
we obviously are big proponents here of conscious consumerism. It's why we created this podcast. Um, but I think we we really do have to not become so jaded with the political systems that we um, you know, are part of that we just kind of throw our hands up and say there's not anything we can do. Um, and I think so, you know, wherever you feel like you can make a difference, um, you can write to your local uh, representatives, um, you can, there's all sorts of things you can do. And actually that um, kind of leads me into um, the positive spin on all of this, which is, um, you know, I do think we're at a tipping point right now in in society um, where there's absolutely, you could argue, a cultural decline of fast fashion. Now, I say cultural decline because I don't necessarily think, um, uh, you know, that we we have the data to say that people are stopping to buy stopping uh, buying fast fashion or oh, you no, know, not unethical at all. fashion. We don't have that data at all. But at least there's been a cultural. Maybe the word decline isn't the right word. Maybe we're maybe more like there's been an increase. We could we could say it a different way. There's been an increase of cultural awareness of fast fashion and how it's um how it negatively impacts the environment. So that's probably the better way to phrase that. But you know, it's it's no longer a cottage term. I, I I would imagine you'd agree with that, Alden. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those terms are going up. Um, people are looking for it on. I mean, things, little things like Pinterest released its trends at the beginning of 2019 and the beginning of 2020, and both times they said people are looking for information on sustainable, ethical, conscious fashion. Um, people are googling more. I think. You know, uh, my I think my website's really high quality, but I think also it's gotten so big because people are just hungry for information on this topic. And so I think a lot of people are talking about it, whether or not that is translating to any meaningful change on a large scale. I have not seen that yet. Exactly. I yeah. think the jury's still out on that. Um, and we're going to have to wait to see um, whether or not people that, I mean, you know, there's always those studies done with what people say they do and what they actually do. There's also like memes, <laughs> you know, it's like what my mom thinks I do all day, what I actually do all day, those types of things. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that it's it's something that we can remain hopeful about, make sure that we are actively trying to make it, um, trying to create a change when we can. Um, one thing that, that was interesting, kind of straddling um, the cultural um, component and the political component is that the United Nations actually established this year um, the Alliance for Sustainable Fashion. So this is the UN coming out and saying, um, you know, we are actively interested in um, driving the conversation forward about sustainable fashion on a global scale. Um, and of course, there's always going to be opinions about um, United Nations. But the one thing that I think we can all agree on is that it is a wonderful forum to spark international conversations about big issues. So I, for one, am thrilled that they created that um that group yeah absolutely again you know politics international politics it's a whole different discussion but you know any any uh action any effort um you know uh, i tend to agree that it's I, I just want to applaud that um so also some also positive things uh on the decline of fast fashion and the rise of slow fashion if you will um google searches of course are going up on sustainable uh, on sustainable fashion we see more and more brands coming up as well right uh Another thing I wanted to talk about is the rise of the reused clothing rental economy, right? The thread up that I mentioned earlier 
this episode, uh, Rent the Runaway, um, you know, uh, it has a unicorn status, meaning that the company is valued at over $1 billion. And, and yeah, the, uh, of course, ThreadUp, I wanted to give them a shout out. Uh, they uh, Every year, for the last few years, they're publishing their resale, yearly resale uh, report. And uh, 2019, uh, they are saying that secondhand market uh, will reach $51 billion in five years. And of course, millennials and Gen Z are leading uh, the charge uh, in this market and adopting secondhand two, uh, two and a half times faster than other age groups. So I was curious, Alden, uh, what's your take on it? Are you as hopeful on it, um, about it or any other thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm 75% hopeful about it i would say mm-hmm. you know i i actually don't i haven't really rented much at all meaning um, yep but that's only because um as someone who has a blog i'm offered free things all the time and most of the time i say no but my closet is is great i have an amazing closet um i did rent something once and it was for halloween because i couldn't afford to buy something new that was ethical, um, that was ethically made for my costume. So I rented it and um, I was really pleased with it. And the other time that I really wish I'd had access to it um, was when I was in Copenhagen for the um, the fashion summit. And I'd been traveling a lot and I just didn't have a cocktail dress. And I thought, oh my God, if I was in New York right now, I could just rent a cocktail dress. And so I think in a lot of those situations, it's really great. And um, I have friends who who really like it and it really cuts down on on your buying trendy things and then realizing you don't like them um the 25 percent where i'm a little bit negative on it is this um it sort of accelerates the fashion cycle even further and makes people value their clothes even less because it just doesn't matter like you own it you you give it back and um there's also no data again showing that it is more sustainable than um buying, not buying like, anything right not buying anything but like maybe not not buying anything but like buying some things that you like really love and take care of um and so i would love to see research that really compares those two different lifestyles and sees what exactly is going on with it and if it's um leading to lower consumption of resources or if it's just sort of like fast fashion in a different form. Yeah, there, I, I totally agree with that point, Alden. And the other thing I wanted to mention was there's an interesting um, conversation actually happening in the Facebook community where somebody had shared, um, you know, an article talking about, again, the rise of these rental companies. And, you know, to what the point that we were trying to make is I think at first uh, glance, it does seem more ethical because you don't feel like you're buying things. However, the the point I wanted to add was somebody commented and it was fascinating. I'd never thought about this too, but somebody was like, honestly, th- their point of view was honestly, they thought that um, one of the reasons we've seen a rise in these companies has been it's because it's a good business model, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's it, they're able to have right. um, you know almost a subscription based uh, you know revenue, and and so. For them, it for a lot of these companies springing up, it may or may not be because they want to actually make a difference. It's because it's a good business model. Um, and, you know, some of these companies, so I, I know that there's been a few popping up that are utilizing, like, fast fashion in the 
in the rental items that you get anyway. So anyway, there's definitely pros and cons. I totally agree with it from like a, a formal wear perspective. I've also rented something one time. Um, rent My husband used to be in the military and we had to go to a lot of balls, which sounds very fun, but it was a little bit intimidating in terms of, you know, trying to find formal wear all the time, like just awful. <laughs> so I would rent things from time to time. Yeah. yeah and totally and think it's, you it's know, an interesting piece. As you know me, like on the consumer end, if if rental is actually a positive thing for the environment, which I kind of feel like it's definitely better than buying new, I want I, I want to see brands to make it as frictionless as possible and as easy of a process as possible for it to be really massive and uh, reach you know all the consumers at large. Because yeah, I myself personally, I think I tried Latoot once uh, for a couple of months, but again, I'm not a um, super uh fashion addict so that's not for me for sure and then yeah the the whole process of returning stuff back just like scares me uh, so that's why i for me personally that's why i see it's the biggest kind of challenge for this kind of businesses um but there's also something want... else that mm-hmm. i that i'm a little bit more excited about than mm-hmm. the rental which is this trend of fashion brands taking back their old stuff that people yes. don't want anymore and yeah, and so ThreadUp has that that pro, uh, program. I think they just started this year. So basically, even if you're shopping from, uh, I don't remember what their partners are. Well, Reformation, like on the ethical brand side, but uh, brands um, like, I think it's uh, Macy's maybe or Dillard's or one of those brands. Basically, you can um, return your Dillard stuff to ThreadUp because I think the operations are pretty good and sophisticated in terms of, you know, uh, again, processing all of the stuff that you don't want. Um, shall we get into the food area, which we are very excited about? Um, Laura? Yeah, go ahead. I uh, mean, I, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you want to lead this one, but I'm happy to jump in. Yeah. So before we start talking about your favorite burger, uh, in general, there is definitely, um, well, it's kind of like a negative, positive thing. Uh, well, healthy diet, good news for everyone who is trying to be healthy and needs more motivation like me. <laughs> healthy diet means a healthy planet too, right? And there's studies shown, you know, obviously we have, we will have all the articles and kind of research pieces that we're going off in this episode. We'll share it in the show notes for you guys. But basically, healthy diet uh, is better for the environment too. And the, the article breaks down specific products like uh, is, uh, you know, red meat better than chicken or for the environment or fish or dairy? And basically, the answer is, you know, healthy stuff, of course, grains, vegetables, fruits, um, potatoes, my favorite thing. Uh, fish and chicken uh, goes a bit towards the unhealthier side, but of course, I think a lot of us, we already know that uh, unprocessed red meat and processed red meat are the, kind of the, uh, the worst things uh, for the environment. Uh, and they're good trends, right? We're switching our diets. Uh, there is veg- veganism, uh, there's vegetarians. And, uh, you know, one company that uh, broke the news, um, um, became the news darling this year is the Impossible Burger. Laura, you want to tell them a bit about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, she. I'm just laughing because she's, she's handing me this one on a silver platter, pun intended. <laughs> um, I love Impossible Burger. Um, just personally, I like the way it tastes. I think there have been interesting questions brought up about... Um, you know, how um, how ethical and sustainable um, it actually is. Um, but in addition to the way it tastes, I love that it started a conversation, both Impossible Burger, there's also Beyond Meat. There's so many companies that kind of came out in the past few years um, 
But the really important thing I think to get across is the fact that they're starting these conversations and they're getting people to see that it is possible to eat, um, you know, plant-based meat alternatives that don't taste um, tasteless. And so an example that I have for this is I was out with a group of um, my friends. They're a group of um, male engineers. Um, they're pretty, they were, these guys were pretty set in their ways. Um, and we were all going out to eat and we were at a burger shop. And I love traditional burgers. I love any burgers of any kind. Um, and they, we, I, I saw that they had an Impossible Burger, and so I ordered one, and I convinced a few of these guys to get Impossible Burgers, and they were kind of like, they were curious. First of all, they were curious, and I didn't have to pull their arm too much, so one, I think that speaks to the fact that they had heard about this, um, and that, you know, the marketing behind Impossible Burgers slash all these meat alternatives was interesting and piquing their interest, so they got it, and they were blown away. I mean, they literally were like, this is something I could see myself eating more of. And so regardless if they choose to eat Impossible Burger or whatever it is, it kind of got them to see that the a life without, um, or life with less meat, again, we don't, we're not saying you have to remove meat from your diet, but a life with less meat was possible. And so that's what I think has been so interesting to see this year. Um, Obviously, more and more people are, are are becoming vegans, like Lisa was talking about. Um, Alden, I'm curious. I don't know actually a lot about your eating habits. Um, what's your what's your take on this? Um, I think it's pretty cool. I mean, already we've seen the decline of red meat um, consumption in the United States, but not for environmental reasons. Mostly because people now believe that um, it will make them fat and give them cancer, um, and there's a lot of evidence of that. So I think that's why. Um, people aren't necessarily eating less meat overall. Um, they switch to chicken, but that's a great thing for the environment. And I think it's also better for our health. Um, if you want to know about my personal eating habits, um, I'm not. I'm a flexitarian. Um, I have a CSA box delivered to our apartment every Monday with recipes, um, and I don't eat meat unless I'm pretty confident in where it comes from. And I'm, yeah, I like. I'll eat meat like once a day at the most, and that's if, like, it came in the CSA. Um, and I'm pretty confident in that decision. I People get really surprised when I say I'm not a vegan, but um, I'm not a vegan because I've looked at everything, and I feel confident in the way if everyone ate like I did, we would be perfectly fine. There you go. And, I mean, I think the fact that people, I guess the, the previous thought was, okay, if you want to be um, – you know, a uh, an agent of change for the world through your eating habits, you kind of have to be a vegetarian. That was, a, you know, years ago. And then, they, then we started to have the rise of veganism, which is even more um, of a commitment than vegetarianism. And so I think a lot of folks um, who, who wanted to make an impact weren't 100% sure how to do it. And so I love that you're, you talk about wanting to know more about where, where your meat is from before you eat it. Um, and I think in general, just a bean bit being flexible, I think, is is helpful for most people um, because let's be real. Like, I think trying to change, have a major lifestyle change of any type is difficult. We're about to get into the new year and have New Year's resolutions and all of that. So, yeah, I, I think that it, the, any way that you can, um, you know, be a bit more conscious in that respect, I think, is, is really awesome. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm also not a vegetarian and uh, I, I I do love meat and I, I just basically, similar to Arden, maybe, uh, I don't know exactly where the meat comes from, but basically my policy is like just buy the most expensive meat at Whole Foods, which is of course uh, not very good for your wallet, but uh, it does take... Um, a lot of financial uh, power to to be able to eat really high quality foods here and also wanted to give a shout out to you know Leonardo DiCaprio as usual he invested uh, not into the impossible burger but in beyond meat which is impossible burgers competitor and which I just realized they went public uh, like three months ago and gained what 840 percent in their stock uh, stock price so you know money talks so uh, I think this also kind of gives me hope that more and more people actually uh, willing to make these lifestyle changes and Burger King also launched the Impossible Burger as well so which is all of course huge news um, I think these are all the things that we wanted to mention actually because, um, right? I think Lisa there was one more that we wanted to to chat about um, and that was um, both the you know it's a it's a one of these mixed mixed bags whether or not mm-hmm. it's positive or negative um so it was about Amazon and online shopping. So oh boy. we oh have boy. an episode that talks specifically about online shopping. Um, there are so many things in that episode that we said that we need to make their own episodes. So we, one of our goals next year is to kind of go back into our podcast and make sure that we are are making good on our word. So we're excited about that. But I, I wanted to say that um, we just kind of came off of Cyber Monday, Black Friday time frame, uh, time frame, excuse me. And um, Cyber Monday was actually um, Amazon's biggest shopping uh, shopping day they've ever had this past year. Oh, so, I'm so happy um, for them. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, so I think this this points to, again, um, I when I think about people wanting to shop at Amazon, I think everybody, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know I used to work at Amazon for quite a few years. Um, and I, my thought here is people want convenience. Uh, Lisa talked about that just a second ago. I know Alden talks about it all the time. But when we think about what people actually want to do, they want to do what's easiest and what what works for them. And so for most people, that's Amazon. Um, Amazon is the main place people go to search for products. Um, I think Google is trying to make some inroads in um, making shopping a little bit easier on Google. So my fingers are crossed that people can have a better way to search for products. But for many people, Amazon remains the easiest uh, way to shop um, and the most reliable. Um, and so one of the things um, that we, you know, when we, when we think about trying to um, maybe mitigate a little bit of this, because as we know, having one company controls so much of the just commerce world is not good. Amazon also sources from crazy unethical supply chains in addition to powering ethical brands. So they kind of operate in many spheres. Um, and when I say powering, I just mean offering a sales channel. I don't think they've put a stake in the ground on actually um, doing much in that. In that well, regard. they also anyway, rip off yeah. some sustainable brands. Did you see they came out with their um, faux uh, Allbirds shoe? Oh, oh yes. yes. Let's talk about that. You want to explain that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, so they uh, so Amazon's been accused of using the it the data that it sees on its platform to rip off the highest performing brands and offer like an in-house fake, um, which is so messed up. And that's why a lot of brands refuse to sell on Amazon because they don't want to give away their data. Um, it it sucks because as you said, like um, 
So the Wall Street Journal did an investigative report and they found that um, Amazon sellers were sourcing from the types of dangerous factories in Bangladesh that H&M and Gap will not touch. Yeah, that, that was the crazy part. And I, I think that those uh, every time we hear the news about Amazon, it's basically it's never good, uh, you know, or maybe they try to do a little bit of greenwashing. And I hate to be the, the downer here, but, you know, first of all, they try to steal Allbirds design and like kudos to Allbirds founders. They were like, uh, hey, Jeff Bezos, why don't you steal our technology, which they are made open source, right? The innovation in textiles and supply chains. Why don't you steal that instead of stealing our designs? Uh, and then, yes, the factories that are blacklisted uh, and other U.S. companies are never working with Amazon, still able to somehow uh, bypass this regulation and work with them. I also just heard about, you know, like um, there were a lot of uh, um, news about that a lot of uh, reviews are, are fake on Amazon as well. So um, I don't know. Should we keep going on Amazon and switch to uh, more online shopping in general? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the things I also want to mention, too, is... Um, you know, if you're going to use Amazon, because you are, let's let's be real, um, you, you definitely are. Um, we de we recommend um, trying to make sure that you try to batch your purchases so that you're not having to create a bunch of different shipping, um, you know, what do you call it, uh, deliveries up to your house um, as much as you can, although you don't really have much control over that. So at least it's one thing that you can try to do. Um, another thing is you can try and shop from ethical brands that choose to to use um, Amazon as supply chains because like or sorry as a, a marketing channel um, because like I said there is a lot of money to be made um, selling through Amazon you do definitely open yourself up to risk um, and you know as as a seller um, getting things ripped off unfortunately so yeah I mean whenever possible shop local try not to shop on Amazon but I I think we have to be realistic and realize that. Most people will, um, you know, and um, the, yeah, that's, I mean, it, it, it is what it is. And so, um, yeah, the more you can show Amazon that you support ethical brands, the better. Um, so, yeah, I think that, I think that actually wraps up um, the, the overall uh, year in review. I don't know. Um, so actually we wanted to, Lisa and I are, are doing a new thing where we'd like to ask our guests, um, you know, three different questions um, so that you can kind of help, uh, help our audience leave on a on a particularly interesting note um so the first question alden for you is um i wondered if you could share one or two actionable tips for our audience um that can for them to live more ethically and sustainably sure i think this one's going to be a little bit esoteric but i've been thinking a lot lately about um efficiency and how it's oh it's, i think it's been a trap i think we've been told that if we are more efficient We'll have more time to do the things we love, but I think it's the opposite. That if we carve out time to do the things we love, um, then we will be forced to be more efficient in the rest of our life. And so I've been thinking a lot lately about how sometimes um, my favorite moments are when I allow myself to be inefficient and do something the slow way, um, whether it's uh, whether it's not going to Amazon and instead going to the local kitchen store in my neighborhood to like look at look at what coffee mocha pops they have there um or it's um it's putting away my phone and like taking the time to like take a bubble bath with uh, a book you know instead of like going to twitter so um i know that that's more of like wellness but i think that i think 
the uh, striving for efficiency and speed is a lot of what leads us to make decisions that are poor for the environment and, and people as well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think it's also maybe it also comes with age, but I've been thinking about the same things um, more and more, like slowing down, um, but also recognizing how difficult it is uh, to train yourself to do these things, right? To put down the phone, pick up the book uh, and all of these things. All right. Um, my question, one of my favorite ones is uh, for Alden, of, of course, it's all for you. Uh Uh, can you tell us, maybe give a shout out to your favorite brand uh, or ethical product um, and why? What are they doing right that you're most excited about? Oh, it's like asking me to choose a favorite child from my I know. foster children. <laughs> well, um, it doesn't have to be like greatest of all time to it. Could just be like one that you found recently. Like we don't want to, you don't have to have too much pressure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I actually, but I was giving this some thought. And so I'm going to give um, a shout out to Nisolo. Uh, Nisolo is a brand that I've known about for a long time. And they just always, been the most dependable brand in terms of making beautiful um, leather footwear and now some jewelry and accessories, but mostly really comfortable, well-made, beautiful, um, classic footwear. And they also have a campaign um, with Ably right now, or sorry, Able right now um, around trying to get um, fashion brands to say who is being paid the least in their supply chain and what that wage is. And I think it's a really cool campaign because it makes it very simple to understand um, what's going on in, in the supply chain. And I think it's the first step towards um, having a better conversation around, um, around living wage and how rare it is. Yeah, yeah, we are definitely, there's a lot of Nisolo fans. I think all of us on the call uh, own a few pairs of Nisolos. And um, yeah, I think it's especially like, first of all, they have amazing product. But the second part is, I think for all of us, it's important, you know, all the other steps that they're doing to do things right. And this like uh, minimum wage challenge is, is it. One more question uh, and we will be done. Uh, what is the one thing that excites you right now the most in the ethical and sustainable movement? Just one thing. Uh, I'm going to be a big old dork for this one. And I'm going to talk about the uh, Bangladesh Fire and Safety Accord and the Bangladesh Alliance to a lesser extent. So after Rana Plaza collapsed in Bangladesh and killed over 1,100 people, um, Fashion brands were thinking, okay, we have two choices. Either we keep manufacturing here knowing this could happen at any time again, or we pull out. And so they created these two organizations um, to basically do what the government was supposed to do, which is um, inspect factories and require safety remediation. And the fact that, as with, especially with the accord, that it was legally binding and had a power sharing agreement with labor unions, it's like this modern, powerful, labor international labor agreement for a modern uh globalized world and it worked um average deaths per year from factory incidents went from 100 to zero um it is in danger of being dismantled right now um and we're starting to see the crack show in that safety facade um there was an explosion this week actually at a knitwear factory um and one person died um because of Uh, a human error, but they should have known better than to do what they were doing. So um, it, it, it's 
uh, ex excitement because it showed, opened the door to a really powerful way to fix fashion industry issues, not only in our own country, but in other countries. Um, but yeah, I, I still have like a little bit of trepidation about what's going to happen next. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a great note to end on because as the as we know, this is just such a constantly evolving conversation um, and culture. And I, I love that you um, decided to shine a light on the recent events there because I was reading a few articles about that too. So we'll, we'll put that in the show notes for people who are interested in following up more. Well, we have just gone through so much. Um, I, I'm just so thrilled that we we're able to kind of get some cohesive themes together. Um, like always, we will have show notes and more information available um, on brightly.eco. Um, Alden, I just want to say thanks so much for taking the time um, to share your knowledge with us. It's, it's been great. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun. Thank you, Alden. Awesome. Looking forward thanks. to all the feedback for their, uh, this kind of double episode. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Good Together. As always, you can get show notes and explore lots more content related to all things eco-friendly living by checking out brightly.eco slash podcast. While you're visiting, don't forget to join in on the conversation by leaving us a question through voicemail or giving us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and all the social channels. Our username is brightly.eco. Finally, we want to leave you with a reminder. Every day is a chance for you to create change, and you're already covered for today since you joined us here on the podcast. Stay kind and live brightly.